if you don't know where it is on, on, on which side of the stupid clever line, you got to go try the idea in some way. What's the worst that can happen? Go try the idea, see what feedback you get. You can either keep moving forward or you can pivot and, and make a change. What are we talking about on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast? We're talking about business, specifically your business. Is it growing or are you stuck? How painful is that growth? Is it running you or are you running it? Are you working in your business or on your business? On the Grow Your Damn Business podcast, we explore these questions and much more. Expect a lively, spirited discussion about what it takes to grow your damn business. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. I am your host, Scott Goodrich, and I think we've got a treat in store for us today. I am joined by Mark Graben. Mark is an author, entrepreneur, consultant, a uh, little bit of everything. We'll probably spend a decent amount of time talking about his latest work. Mark, thank you very much for joining the show. Scott, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. It's really our pleasure to have you on here, and uh, I will thank you publicly here. Mark was kind enough to share his latest book with me, which I uh, digested over the last few days. So there it is. We got it on camera, and uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that. Um, Mark, I gave you a little bit of a brief intro there, but just give us a little bit of a high level. You can share a little bit about the book, but kind of what got you into that and, and a little bit of your bio, and then we'll get into your journey to what got you to, to writing a book about people making mistakes. Yeah, well, thank you. Um yeah, I, you know, at the beginning of my career, I didn't think I was going to be in a position to, to be growing my damn business, you know, if you will. You know, I, I like it. Want to work that title in whenever I can, so it's much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll try not to overdo uh, the dams. It's probably okay. But I, you know, I, I came from uh, an auto industry family in Detroit. My dad worked 40 years at General Motors. I kind of thought that's how life and careers would be. Um, I started yeah. my career at General Motors. I'm an industrial engineer. Um, after two years, um, I thought it best to leave. This was not a mistake. I left and okay. had an opportunity to go to grad school, but that was to go study engineering and business. I, I was looking for careers in big companies. You know, yeah. I, I didn't have entrepreneurship on the radar, but then in grad school at MIT in the, the, the Sloan School of Management, there was like this great awakening to me around the world of entrepreneurship. And this was late 90s, techboom.com, boom, becoming bubble. Yeah. So what, you know, one thing I've wondered sometimes if it was a mistake to not ride that wave of being in pretty early on the internet and doing that. But I, I went back, you know, to, to manufacturing. Uh, I worked at Dell Computer for about two years. And again, I thought, well, I don't, know if, I don't know if big companies are for me. So I joined a software startup and was, was part of that for a while. Can I just ask a that? What, 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 that yeah. question is a great one, and it's one that I have asked of myself, and I do ask of guests along the way. It, you know, yeah. it wasn't modeled, it sounds like, right? That, that entrepreneurism wasn't modeled in your family, it, right? That, that it sounds like your dad, you didn't say it was your mom. Did your mom have any of that within, on her side? Or no, it's funny. My, my dad's dad, my, my grandpa on that side of the family yeah. was both an employee and an entrepreneur. So he okay. had a job with Ohio Edison. He uh, yeah. was up working, uh, trimming trees and clearing power lines. So he had a side business then related to that. Um, okay. He would remove stumps. He had the equipment to go do that. So, you know, he, 
he had you know man, there's some entrepreneurship there, in, yeah, in, in the bit, genes yeah, there yeah there or at least yeah. uh that was that was his side hustle as they would sure. have never called it back then <laughs> yeah that's a that's our that's our term not theirs not that generation's right. term for right. sure for sure so yeah i didn't mean to interrupt you but it's always no, interesting right. to me when when you when you have that like where, where does that where does it come from because it wasn't necessarily modeled for me either and i didn't go that way initially although i had been done that as a, as a teenager and I'd, I'd done all the stuff that you do to make a buck and it's like okay yeah. I, I can make on go but then i didn't go that way for a while it was it's not until later on that i came back to a little bit of that you know entrepreneurial spirit and re relighten a, a flame yeah. that may have been dimmed over over the course of time so uh yeah. that, that i think a lot of people's paths look like that because you think oh i need to go get a job I need right. to have and build a career, right? That's right. it's it's the it's the rare among us that that jump into it right away. But so yeah, go ahead. So yeah, from well, from Dell, you kind of had another question in your head around if that's the right way to go. Well, you know, I was trying to figure out. I mean, General Motors at the time was roughly roughly three hundred thousand employees. Dell was thirty thousand and growing. GM was yeah. getting smaller. Yeah, the startup company was more like thirty. Yeah. Okay, that's a big difference. Now there's a rocky road around that of getting laid off after 9-11 and being out of a job for a couple of months and then coming back and being with the company longer the second time. And, you know, it was um, an interesting environment, but the ups and downs of like, gosh, you know, uh, are they going to make payroll or not? Um, I, I, I maybe over adjusted and, and took a job again at a big manufacturing company, Honeywell, in the Phoenix area where okay. I was yep. uh, at the time. And I'm like, oh, okay, no. <laughs> thought, that's that's not it, right? <laughs> I, I repeat. At, at this point, I felt like I'm repeating a mistake, never to be yeah. never yeah. to be repeated again, though. I think. Okay. But yeah, I had an opportunity now, at that point, in 2005, to become an outside consultant. Like I'd always been like an internal consultant at manufacturing mm -hmm. companies. Um, got to join Johnson and Johnson. Now you're thinking, okay, wait a minute, warning, red flag, yeah. big, huge, giant company. Yeah, but exactly. They had a consulting team of about 30 people that did work out in the field with hospitals. And so the four years I worked for J&J, &J, I was in a J&J &J building exactly two times over okay. those four so, years. Yeah. So, so on site and getting a little taste of what it's like to go out there and, and carve that. Now, at that point in yeah. time, were you also trying to find those engagements or is it sort of a natural part of folks that were using... Johnson Johnson supplier, obviously with a big presence in the medical uh, supply. Field, yeah, right? I mean, so I, I wasn't was selling. Out. I wasn't yeah. selling deals, but I was, you know, maybe you know, selling follow-on work as consultants okay. yeah. tend to do. Yeah. You know, but that was like the best of both worlds because there was this small team sure. environment with the security of like we knew the benefits and the paycheck were going to still be there. You know, right? Yeah. But yeah. then um, I had an opportunity to write my first book, a book called Lean Hospitals, about um, hospital process improvement and, and leadership. And then um, as tends to happen with um, having a book out there that was well received, that creates other opportunities. Um, speaking, yeah. invitations, and um, there was kind of a bridge where I worked uh, for a year for a nonprofit educational group called the Lean Enterprise Institute. Again, like more like 30 employees. <laughs> right, okay. And then after doing that for a year, I thought, well, I'm, I'm getting enough opportunities of things I could do on my own, I actually scaled back to 50% time as an employee. And that's when I officially launched kind of my own me, myself, and I yeah. business. And yeah, because that's then, been 17 years now, right? That, that you, yeah, that, that's well, been, since 2010. So we'll call it 13 years, 13. years okay. in the yeah. solopreneur mode. And then after that first year, then I, I cut bait on the full-time job altogether. 
Good for you. And went awesome. solo. But I also had the opportunity to get affiliated with a startup software company. Now basically as like person number three with the two co-founders, a, a software company called Kinexus um, that I've been involved in to this day, but never in a full-time role. But you know, I'm fortunate. I get to juggle different things of working, kind of you know, put on my own company hat and do things solo, subcontract through larger consulting firms, or do things in partnership as a contractor uh, to that company, Kinexus, that I, I also have a small ownership stake in. So those are really kind of the two yeah. businesses that I'm still involved in, you know, trying to help grow. Kinexus is now a company of about 40 people. Nice. So from three to 40, is that, for, is, is that the right focus right now? Is that, that the sweet spot to, to have a few different uh, plates in the air, so to speak, rather than, than have just the one responsibility that you're finding with the, with the larger companies early on? Is that feel like the right two to close now? I, I enjoy that mode. And I'm also fortunate and blessed um, that, you know, there's a couple of things, you know, um, I mentioned to you before we started recording, we've moved around a lot because of my wife's career. She is a corporate executive with a very traditional and, and amazing corporate career path. So being in sol solopreneur plus mode allows yeah. me a to pick up and move. It doesn't matter where I live. And it gives me a lot of flexibility. Yeah. And I enjoy the variety and, um, you know, there, there's a lot of stress. There can be a lot of stress with being a solopreneur and there mm -hmm. are ups and downs in my business as best I try to manage that. Um, but again, thankfully, like in the context of me and my wife, that that's okay. It doesn't cause ulcers, you know? Yeah. It, the, the, it's a, thanks for mentioning that because that is a, just a general theme that we, we tend to find when we're talking with entrepreneurs on the show here is that that growth that you're that, that you're looking for it never happens in the way that you imagine and it never happens in a straight line there there is very little is there a hockey stick associated with that entrepreneurial uh, path particularly on the right. solopreneur path uh, what are some mechanisms that you use just to help your own self cope with those those times when Boy, I thought this was cooking, and then now it's not cooking the way I, way I thought. To, right? just, I, 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 I try to remind myself to not react to short-term fluctuations. There, there is seasonality in the work that I do. Summertime around uh, December, early January, you know, there's not a whole lot going on. Um, you know, I try to use that time to work on projects that would help create exposure to to. Yeah keep the business going, if not grow it. So to me, things like um, writing, both books, um, blogging, um, podcasting, you know, those are things that I do to, you know, fill in times when I'm not busy on site with a, a consulting or coaching client or with speaking engagements. You know, I, I look at a lot of the things I do. I mean, it's fun. It's professional development for me. And it's also, you know, marketing, yeah. um, getting my name out there. For sure. And, and you can have those two sort of dovetail together all the more better, right? Because of these opportunities, uh, you know, I'm using this opportunity with what you shared with me already and, and just this conversation. So, okay, how is that, you know, what am I taking away from that? And, and But also having, having the person getting this out to others. And it's, it's great that you think of it in, in that manner. Uh, yeah. Uh, perspective I found is really critical as well. It's 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 going to happen. So just get your head and arms around the concept that it's going to happen where you thought, a was going to happen. And then all of a sudden X occurred. Like, okay, well, I got to deal with X now. <laughs> and I panicked more in those first couple of years when sure. yeah, before you start seeing the patterns and then you, the yeah. first 
summer. I'm like, oh no, I'm never going to have work again. <laughs> and, and there could be yeah. some feast or famine and trying to manage sure. that. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and trying to remember that is just kind of part of how it goes. Yeah. It, no, it's a challenge. And the, uh, yeah, uh, we, we talk a lot about different different ways for folks to get resources to handle those because, as we mentioned, it's inevitable that there'll be ups and downs. I don't know if you've had a chance to read or are familiar with uh, The Gap and the Gain, which is a book by Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy. Have you read that one yet? Or are you familiar I, with that? I do not. I thought it, from listening to another episode, you were going to mention the book Traction, which I have I, Well, read. I would. I yeah, that's, I mean, that's an what important... The, uh, <laughs> that's my day job, too, right? Yeah. For sure, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. So the U.S. And, and the and the system that Gino created, but Gino from Detroit, by the way, uh -huh. and, and built yeah. his career there, and where uh, U.S. Worldwide is headquartered. So we have uh, Detroit in our in our in our uh, in, in common. But right. yeah, I mean, I, we use a lot of the stuff uh, very much linked with some of the work of, of Dan Sullivan and what he's done for Strategic Coach. But he's partnered with Ben Hardy to to, to write a number of books. But just one that we do talk about quite a bit because this is such a reality is a, is called the gap in the gain. And to mm -hmm. the degree that you can understand the wins that are happening, even the little wins and living and spending time in the gain. And in that space is a great way to overcome mm -hmm. the inevitable downsides and the mm -hmm. downturns or the times when it feels a little bit lean and you're not sure where the next engagement's coming from. Um, and if you linger on that, then you're in the gap. And it is about making sure you've got that right approach, but putting it in mm -hmm. some simple forms and some simple exercises that, that allow you to go through it. Because anyone that's out there trying to build something, that's what's going to happen, yeah. right? It's going great, I'm on top of the world, and then this client leaves, this client doesn't sign, or, up, oh, they didn't pay for work I did. And now you've got that problem. Uh, yeah, thankfully, I've never had that problem. Of that's all good. The different it's a good problems. one. <laughs> sometimes, pay, sometimes paid slowly, yeah, yeah, but never not paid. Yeah, good, good one, good one to to avoid for sure, yeah. for sure. Well, well, let's talk a little book. bit about. It. I, yeah. I want it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good it's a good read and, and worth it. And I have uh, I'm, I'm happy to to I actually know some folks over at Strategic Coach, and they're always happy to help me out and getting those books in front of folks. But yes, you mentioned traction. It's what we talk about quite a bit, and that's a way for for small businesses also to make sure that they're doing the right things to build in the right way. Uh, right. Because you got to have certain things in place if you're going to make a go of it. Um, let's talk just a little bit about the genesis for for, for your book. Um, mm -hmm. It really is a fun read. Uh, really interesting stories that, that you've had. I'm sure you had a fun time researching it and, and really hearing, frankly, about, about what folks have gone through and, yeah. and the things that they're willing to talk about, even if it's many years later. Mm -hmm. There's one that sticks in my mind from, from the reading around a particular doctor, uh, right. which uh, and sharing that. But yeah, what was the genesis for that? Then we'll talk about a couple of stories that were really, for you, um, key in, in creating book and form, forming around the book. Yeah. So there, there were a couple of things that all lined up together. So, you know, I, I would frame like, the, the framework that, that most of my work in my career uh, could be labeled as is, quote unquote, lean management or lean manufacturing from you know, the yeah. Toyota production system. And there's lots of parallels to the EOS uh, approach. But um, I was you know, doing that work. I was um, at J&J at the time and I started a podcast in 2006. So I had a blog that I started in 2005, and the podcast was sort of an extension of that. Um, so I've been podcasting. It's been uh, almost 500 episodes now. I'm going to hit the 500 wow. celebration point That's next awesome. year. Fantastic. You know, Fantastic. Episodes every, every two weeks or so. So I've been podcasting, really enjoyed that. You start podcasting long enough, people start reaching out, and, and they want to pitch guests and ideas. And yeah. you know that, that podcast I do is very niche. You know, around this mm -hmm. this lean management model with 
you know, a few, I, I kind of stretched the boundaries occasionally. Like I had Tom Peters on the podcast once. Like, I mean, awesome. you can't pass yeah. that up when you're yeah, no, kind of no. creating an opportunity like that. But uh, it was pandemic time. It was summer of 2020. So uh, consulting opportunities to travel to hospitals and that was um, gone for a while. Uh, well, so then a, a PR firm pitched me um, a really interesting potential guest for my lean management podcast. It wasn't a fit, but Kevin Harrington, who was one of the sharks on yeah. season one of Shark Tank. Okay. He had a new book coming out with a, another uh, entrepreneur, Mark Tim. I want, uh, I want, I was conflicted for, you know, I, I want to interview him. I would love to meet him. I bet he'd be yeah. fun to talk to. But that part of my brain clicked in of like, look, instead of saying no, but, you know, figure out, well, yes, how to, how to say yes. How to make it and happen. I, yeah. And I thought, well, I've got time. I could take on a pandemic project, maybe another podcast. So bouncing back and forth with a couple of the PR people, should it be just a very general and generic business podcast? Or I had this idea of, you know, learning from mistakes is something that's been important to me and professional work and helping organizations prevent mistakes and learn from mistakes and have that culture. I pitched it and uh, wouldn't you know, uh, Kevin Harrington thought that was great. He said, yes. He came on and told a hell of a story about how his infomercial business almost went under. Like, I mean, it was a pretty dramatic, yeah. you know, situation. I thought, wow. Like, his willingness to be vulnerable that way and not to share. It's fun to talk about successes, but I thought, okay, maybe I'm onto something. If, if, if somebody like him was willing to come and set a great example um, in terms of, of telling that story and, and what he learned and what he did to adjust and prevent repeating that mistake, because, you know, the spirit of the podcast then leading into the book. So the podcast was my favorite mistake. Yep. Um, the spirit of it is celebrating the learning and the growth, not shaming anybody for their mistake. Um, right. So he was guest number one. And uh, it, I thought, well, I, now I hope I can find others. I was say, that's a strong lead up hitter. Nice. It was. <laughs> and then he yeah. on saying, oh, well, Kevin from Shark Tank was on. How about you? How about you? Uh, yeah. You know, I reached oh, out to Mark Cuban and they all, like, oh, I never heard back. But hey, take a know, swing. You got to take, take a swing. That's right. And I certainly played the Shark Tank card and like, well, OK, I got one shark. But yeah. um, then after a while, I thought, okay, there's, um, I think I'm good at seeing patterns and connecting dots. And I'm like, there, there are themes and trends from these guests from different industries and professions. I'm a writer. And I'm like, okay, I think there's a, there's a book here. And, you know, there was some, yeah. uh, there were false starts. There was iteration. Um, I finally got to the finish line of a book with a similar title to the podcast, but the, the book is called The Mistakes That Make Us. Yeah. And it, and it, the stories in it are, are fantastic. If, if you would indulge us, did you, do you have one that, that you utilize when, you, when you're talking about it? I, mm -hmm. there, there's so many good ones in there. There's one that stuck with me, but I don't want it to be the one telling the story. If, yeah, but what, one that really stands out to you that just demonstrates mm. how different it can be, right? When you admit a mistake versus when you don't and the outcomes from that. Because we do spend time talking mm -hmm. with guests about, hey, where did you screw up? And, right. and frankly, anyone that is going to, invite someone like me into their business to help them, they need to have a degree of vulnerability. If you're not in a place right. where well, this is okay, but not where I want it to be, or I made this, this, this hiccup here, this was my mistake and I'm going to own it, but you're going to, I need your help to come in. If you're not there, then it's not going to work, right? You're not, if you're not right. open and willing to help. So admission first stage, 
But uh, yeah, so to well, get too far from the past, tell me about that story or that that one yeah, thing that you felt was so dramatic. Yeah, so let, let me come about uh, not too too much of a roundabout way. Sorry, right, we can round about let, it. We're good. Let me let me talk about culture thing first, and I come back yeah. and I, I've got some people in mind to talk about two related stories. So, um, I've had an opportunity um, kind of get some formal training and education around concepts that are called psychological safety, and it really comes down to the core of do people feel safe to speak up for different reasons, to point out a problem, to admit a mistake, to share an idea, to disagree with their leader or leaders. And a lot of it really comes down to it's a function of culture and how leaders react when people are vulnerable. So I think you know, it's incumbent upon leaders to make sure they're not punishing people when they speak up, right? So instead of telling people, you should be brave, because speaking up is risky. Well, no, 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 we need to reduce the risk factor or reduce the danger. So I think a lot of people who come on the show are you know, a CEO or a founder or a leader. They may maybe risk, they might think a little bit their reputation. There's some vulnerability to sharing a mistake story publicly. Now, you know, I think there's a lot of evidence that people actually respect and like you better when you admit a mistake. Absolutely. Uh, you yeah. know, they're not, they're not going to think less of you uh, for that. You know, I think some people have that fear. But so two people that came on, on the show, um, one in his story is in the book, episode two, in the category of, well, you got to reach out and try. He was at the time uh, a member of Congress uh, from Texas, Will Hurd. Yep. yep. He had announced he wasn't running for what would have been a fourth term. So he's you know, kind of in that lame duck stage. I had met him socially in San Antonio. He's a friend of a, a, a former neighbor. Well, I'm, well, I'm going to reach out and ask. And his press team said, sure. I'm like, I was, I was really surprised. What? I'm like, really? Wasn't, what? wasn't ready for that. Yes, but okay. You, you, you want the congressman, you're, you're teeing him up to talk about a mistake. And, and, and he was great about that. And the story yeah. he shared as CEO of his first campaign, the long story short of it is he lost the runoff and the first ever Republican primary for Congress he ran in in 2010. He got the most votes in the initial yeah. election, but he didn't get 50%. And as he talked about in the podcast, he didn't listen to his consultants who were trying right. to teach him how a runoff is different. And he was like, well, no, we're gonna, we got the most votes. We're going to do the same things. He didn't get his voters back out a second time. Yeah. And, and what I so respect um, about Will Hurd is... He took ownership for what he did. He didn't blame or throw anyone under the bus. He didn't say like, oh, those consultants should have done a better job of convincing me. Like, well, no, you know, he owned it. And when he ran again, <clears throat> not two years, but four years later, he got the most votes, not a majority, went to the runoff, listened to his consultants that time and won election and then got reelected twice. Now, later episode or later guest, um, going back maybe a month ago, not in the book, PR firm reached out with an opportunity to um, interview uh, Representative Adam Smith, a Democrat from Washington State. Different story, but the theme was, again, like somebody talking about a mistake related to a campaign, owning it, not hiding behind anyone else or pointing fingers or blaming. Like, I, I think that sets a really powerful example. Oh, yeah. But then the question is, like, in a workplace, how does the leader create an environment where everyone feels the safety? to speak up in different ways. It certainly helps when the boss, the candidate, the, the member of Congress does that. And you think, well, that, what, what, what's that mean for their staff? It, it probably means really good things. Absolutely. That was, that, that was one of the stories that 
absolutely resonated as, as a, you know, going through and, and reading your book it was about that. And the willingness to admit it, you know, frankly, uh, I think many would say that there's a lack of accountability and lack of ownership amongst elected leaders because it's easier to deny and hope it goes away than it is to say, that's on me. I'll do better next time. But, yeah. uh, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's just, just not a thing. And I mean, it, to, that, that environment does not exist, unfortunately there. Uh, yeah. Maybe it does. And I've been, yeah. I've been going back through and reading, um, a lot of Tom Clancy books about uh, Jack Ryan and, and his ascension <laughs> through the stories, but he would, you know, it's it's a fictional character, right? That was taking right. ownership for when he didn't do things right. You just don't see that in real life, in reality, in in the actual goings on uh, in our nation's capital. Just just not a thing. That, and, yeah, it, it's noteworthy when when a politician can admit a mistake instead of doubling down or yep. you know uh, deflecting or um, and, and, and think of what happens. though. sometimes I talked about this with uh, Representative Smith. Like, well, if a politician says, well, I made a mistake, I was wrong in my thinking about that, and I'm going to change my mind or change my position, you get labeled a flip-flopper. Sure. Right? Yeah. I mean... And it's tough, right? Because they're in the public eye, but there's this, yeah. oh, you have to have, be infallible, right? So that's out mm -hmm. there. And then, oh, nope, I learned from that. Well, wait a second. Now, what do you really believe? Right? Yeah. So it immediately is yeah. called into question. You don't get that opportunity. So that culture culture doesn't exist. You, you, you have... Just have you talk about one of the just well not one but uh, multiple stories from Toyota just about learnings there and mm -hmm. how that culture celebrates the heirs there. Maybe just spend a minute or two talking about what yeah. you learned as you talked to some of the senior executives at Toyota because it really it do, it does really show that I know they use the lean methodology and really pioneered that right. methodology, but putting it it's real like like the celebration of those yeah. uh, of heirs and, and how they learn from them. So there were yeah, there's two stories in the book that came from different podcast guests. So one was Asao Yoshino, who started his career with Toyota in Japan, 1960s. David Meyer, who an American, who started in Kentucky in the 1980s. Yeah. And they're very similar stories. One was in a paint shop, one was in a uh, injection molding area, but there was a similar, similar failure where um, the wrong chemical got loaded into a machine and caused big problems. Yep. And there are organizations- And when we just, say big, uh, we're talking multi-million dollar right, multi-million right? dollar I mean, they, they were, they were, These were big problems uh, on the assembly line, yeah. And a lot of organizations wouldn't think twice about saying, well, we need to punish somebody, if not firing somebody for, for making, you know, what Toyota realized was really a very systemic mistake. And instead of punishing the people involved, there, there, there was almost more of this apology of like, we're sorry we set you up to fail. Um, let's learn from this. Let's figure out how to prevent it from happening again. Because if you don't do that and you just fire the people who make mistakes without fixing the underlying risk factors or problems, you're going to hire some other person who's, who's probably doomed to make that same mistake eventually. And I, I think it's just really powerful. And, and there was another story I retold um, from um, someone else who shared it in a book about Toyota. Um, like, you know, these, these stories are so common. They're separated by decades, separated yeah. by continents. Like it's got to be, it sounds like consistent culture and not coincidence. Yeah, for sure. Uh, th that's exactly the, the way that I took it on there. I had a question as I was reading it. First off, it, the book forces you to think like, what, what was mine or what were mm. mine? I, I felt like I had multiple. So obviously you had my, my brain, brain's been going since that time as I've gone through the litany of things that, you know, if I could go back in time and do that different, but actually if I did, I wouldn't have learned what I learned. So sure. you, 
right? That, that's, that's where the, the brain goes. Do you ever get the sense when someone does come on your show that they're not giving you all of it? Like they're giving you the one, but they don't give you the real one, the real mm. big one where there's a real vulnerability. They leave a little bit on the table. Do, do you ever get that sense since you've had so many of these conversations? I mean, that's, that's, that's a really interesting question. I have to think about that. And, and I may try to sign you up, Scott, to come on my show, come on my favorite mistake. <laughs> Uh-oh. And, uh, and, and, but I, I mean, open that door. I mean, uh, I, you know, I ask, what's your favorite mistake? I mean, I, I could be asking, what's a favorite mistake? No, it's, it's actually interesting you phrase that way, right? Because it is really, what do they take the most from, right? Because it's, it's yeah. personal to them. Um, it, it, it may or may not be someone's biggest mistake, right? And I yeah. think if I were to ask people, what's your biggest mistake? That could be, there could be a lot of sadness involved, right? So I think Fair like enough. a favorite mistake it's something big enough to, that where it sticks with you, but may, you know, maybe it wasn't so embarrassing or soul, so soul crushing of, <laughs> of, of a mistake. You know, but the, yeah. the thing I feared when I started the show was like, I, 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 you know, were, were people going to come on and want to kind of blow smoke like, oh, well, my biggest mistake is that I just worked too hard and I was too successful yeah. and I never smelled the roses. And like, that's not very, that's an, that's an interview question. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Right. That's what, that's what you get. If you've What's done your biggest weakness? Well, yeah. Exactly. I was yeah. afraid I it was going to be that. Right. Sure. But um, like people have really leaned into some, I think pretty powerful stories. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's good. I appreciate it. I, I, yeah, no, and I, I actually, I let's just listen to the recent episode with Alyssa, the the nurse, and what she mm -hmm. shared and how she thought what the right way was to follow a passion and build a business um, with family, and and just mm -hmm. the learnings from that. <laughs> yeah, that's we see that quite a bit on our side, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's an entree for for someone that that does what we do, where where folks just are hiring those that they know that, that their friends or family and then realize, Oh, I actually don't have the right talent to execute on what I need to execute on a very common challenge yeah. that we see in family businesses. Um, and that wasn't her intent. It's just what she ended up doing and in an attempt to do the right thing. And it ended up really costing her, uh, as she describes on your, on your podcast, the recent one. So good one. It was good. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, absolutely. So when you, I, I did have a question, so when you go in and work with a company, um, I know you, really said you focus on lean and specialized lean. Do you get into the culture around mm. mistakes? Does it bleed into that work? And, and so yes. how do you frame that up and, and trying to allow that to, to breathe or to allow for that shift? Because if the leader's not there, it, I'm sure you, you, you find some roadblocks along the way. If, if someone that is yeah. you know, set the tone, not really, not really buying in or not willing to do it. It's tough. Um, you get invited in to work on certain aspects of a challenge and, and, and you feel sometimes an obligation to try to challenge some of the leader behaviors or the culture, especially this tendency, this human nature or just what's been reinforced of, you know, reacting to a mistake with punitive measures, yeah. blaming and, and punishing and you know, sort of sometimes trying to talk people through that, if not talk them out of it, or more more likely let them talk themselves out of it. Yeah. In terms of, well, we have a choice. If somebody were to say, well, we, we have to punish somebody. Well, I don't think so. there's a law that says you have to. This is a choice. Let's make sure we can really think through. And, and there, there are frameworks popularized both aviation and increasingly in healthcare, like a framework called Just Culture, that allows you to kind of talk through a situation and, and try to answer the question of, did this, did this mistake have systemic causes or 
is it something where it might be appropriate to think about punishment? Now, more often than not, like yeah. if the old default was we'll punish unless proven otherwise, you, you really can't, you have to flip it's hard to break. Yeah, hard to the break. equation on that. And look, in, in, in healthcare, and I think you, you just used the word celebrate, there are some mistakes in healthcare that could be fatal. Yeah. So we wouldn't celebrate that mistake, but we could we could we, we certainly need to take advantage of the learning opportunity. I, to me, it was what I took from that part was the celebrating the discussion around it and mm -hmm. not right. You tell the, 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 a story in there where the mistake was hidden mm -hmm. for years and years, and and a more junior, I think it was a resident at the time, yeah, you know, went went along with it because of the tone that was being set by yeah the, by, the, by, by, by the by the more experienced yeah, that's, doctor. That's right? what, it's about culture. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so that was you know he was in an awkward position there, and and obviously would have been. You know, almost a, a no-win situation there, but that was a culture which perpetuated with, well, nothing really bad happened, so we're not going to have that discussion and move along, right? And, and it, right. It, it's, it's uh, to me, really, really powerful that when you can allow for the conversation to happen, it's going it's to be so much more valuable. And so you're going to really advance your business or your hospital, yeah. whatever it is, you know, you're going to advance it in a much faster and better way yeah. if that's the culture that you allow to exist there. Yeah. But, but and then I, if I can, you know, there's two pieces, yeah. though, when you ask about you know, how that work around lean manufacturing connects yeah. Yeah. into what what people are doing. And, you know, uh, you know, there's there's two PSs when I think of like one you know, is problem solving. So when something goes wrong, um, how do we understand what happened and, and how do we put preventive measures in place or even proactively think about problems that could happen? Let's solve the problem before it yeah. happens. That only works and thrives with the other PS in place. And again, that's psychological safety, creating yeah. an environment where it's actually safe, where it's actually rewarded that you speak up and point out a problem or a near miss or a mistake. So it triggers a constructive problem solving response. When, when, it's, a, when it's a punitive response, that teaches people to get better at hiding and covering up mistakes instead of getting better at problem solving. Could could, uh, could the the, the cover up's always worse than the crime? Was something was just like ringing, rattling around in my brain, like you know, the, right. the minute you try to go and, and hide what's going on, rather than just get in front of whatever the thing is, and, and agreed, uh, yeah, some of this is is truly life and death stuff when you're talking about it in the Medicare uh, medical profession. But but still, right. uh, having that that discussion and making sure that doesn't happen again, such power in that uh, because it's inevitable. Stuff is going to go wrong. Mistakes are going to happen. That is just that, that's just part of it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, and if you go in with any of the thoughts in mind, yeah. then you're, you're just fooling yourself and, and you're not going to get to the, to the place you want to get to, right? You're not going to be able to advance your business in the way that you want to. Right. And, and, and one other quick healthcare thing I think is fascinating. Yeah. If people were to say, well, we, we can't admit the mistake to the patient. I'm like, well, why, again, like, what do you mean can't? Like there's, there's no law preventing you from admitting it. There, yeah. There's, there's um, pretty good evidence now that says when, when a physician or surgeon or a healthcare organization admits the mistake, they are less likely to be sued. Yeah, I, it's powerful. Once again, the, co the cover-up is, is what the, the yeah. challenge is, right? And, and you know, folks realize it comes back around. It's, it's so spot on. So appreciate that. So this book is out there. Do you have another one in your head? Are you cooking up something next? I always like the what's next for you. Uh, with, with, yeah. you know, this, this has been out for a bit now and obviously... Uh, worth tons of conversation and great learnings there. What you, you thinking about what's next? Not yet. I mean, I, okay. I've, I've managed, um, you know, on average a book 
has come out of me every four or five years. <laughs> um, I, I think of the book launch as a marathon and and, and a sprint. So I'm still in that marathon. Yep. Um, I'm 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 not ready to. Uh, I'm not tired of the topic. I'm, uh, you know, I'm in, enjoying the continuation of the podcast, and you know, still trying to get the word out about the book and do speaking and and coaching and training. You know, around some of these concepts related two of it, uh, to all of it. So, um, yeah, probably, I mean, I think once, once eh, somebody who's written a book may or may not write, uh, write a second, but I think once you've written two, you've, you've got kind of a pattern or a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First step to admitting is you might have a problem. I, you know, it, it's, uh, to me, I, it's, it's, it's impressive work. It's an impressive collection. As you continue the podcast, it, it's just a, there's more stories come out there and, you, and you've got to start to see all these synergies between, okay, you can pull from such a vast set of, of stories, conversations, sharing from, from folks as you go to work with other organizations or individuals, right? To, to share that, you can point to, oh, let me share with you what this person went through, right? You, you've got to, you know, pulling on that can only enhance each part of it, right? They, they really do fulfill the, the different legs of the stool that you've got going within, within your, within your business. So I, I'm sure you're able to use that as well. It's awesome. Awesome stuff. Mark, thank you so much for your time today and the conversation. Yeah. Um, I, before we let you go, we'll give you a chance to share where they can find the book here at the end, but we do want to go through our five fast questions. This is just your opportunity to, to, for us to learn a little bit more about Mark. Uh, Mark is not prepped for these nor any guests. So they, they come out of the nothing painful, I promise. So, <laughs> Mark, you moved around quite a bit. Home is currently uh, outside Cincinnati, but do you have a favorite sports team or athlete from all of your travels that that uh, you cheered for your whole life? In recent years, uh, Shohei Otani from oh yeah the Los sure. Angeles awesome. Angels of That's Anaheim. Awesome. I've gotten to see him play in a number of cities. Got to see him pitch for the first time this year, and he hit a home nice. run. Um, just yeah. so yeah. amazing, so historic. If he had been more longer in Cincinnati and said the Bengals, you would have made my son very happy. He is a Bengals fanatic. Uh, we we have two games on our calendar this year to attend, so he is a, a Bengals through and through. So you'll get a little taste of that being in Cincinnati for football. Mark, what would you like to eat if it was the last meal you ever ate? Oh my goodness, um, that's hmm, that's uh, hard to think about. These uh, uh, maybe. A really amazing um, omakase sushi meal with uh, some Japanese whiskey. It's guilt free at that point in time. It's the last one, so you can do it. <laughs> right. right. Bring on the That's rice; it'd be okay at that point. I try <laughs> exactly. I need to avoid it now, but exactly. yeah, last meal, all bets are off, and a big ice cream sundae. How about that? Of course, I like the more the more in depth, the better. Awesome, yeah. awesome. Have you been to your dream vacation spot or do you have a dream vacation spot that you'd like to like to get to bucket list type vacation spot? Um, I, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that, that I did. So I mentioned Japanese whiskey. Um, yep. I had an opportunity last year, um, 50th birthday, a year early, as it turned out to go to Scotland and, and more precisely the Isla mm -hmm. Island, right? I mean, yep. so it's an Island yep. called Island, I guess, basically Isla where, yeah. Um, and you got to visit, um, you know, I don't know if you know the show Parks and Recreation and Ron Swanson, and he had his dream of I visiting the episode. Absolutely. Um, awesome. The Lagavulin yeah, Distillery. <laughs> like, I, yeah, um, it, it's such an amazing place. And, and it's a real commitment to even uh, be able to get there. 
And right. I, I, I feel really blessed that I could experience that and see some of the things the Ron Swanson character played by Nick Offerman, who actually really loves Lagavulin whiskey. You know, yes. <laughs> and visits oh, I, there I, quite a bit. I, I, I don't feel like it's that bit a big of a departure for Nick Offerman to play Ron Swanson. I mean, I, you know, I don't feel like he had to go too far outside. I don't know him, obviously, but I, you uh, know. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite movie or TV show, something you like to rewatch, or maybe something mm. you're watching right now that has, that has got your attention? Yes, uh, absolutely. Favorite movie of all time, which I've, I don't know, watched a hundred times. And again, you know, probably a couple of months ago, most recently, uh, this is Spinal Tap. Which was a little. I had someone my... say that last week on a show. Really? Awesome! Okay. I got two of them. Yeah, it's great. So, it's great. It was a little before my time. It came out in 1984 when I was 11 years old, but I saw it on VHS uh, when I was yeah. uh, in high school, and fell in love with the movie. And I've seen the band play live twice, and it's yeah, never Good. gets old. Good, good. And, and finally, do you have a, a quote or a piece of advice, something that you always go back to whenever you've got? Uh, maybe a moment where you're thinking about, okay, am I really doing the right thing here? Whatever it is, you know, do you, do you have something that, that you always come back to, can pull upon, uh, or maybe more than one, but something you'd like to share? Okay, so my brain's stuck in, uh, this is spinal tap mode. <laughs> so I'm, right. I'm going to hit you with the spinal tap is. I'm ready. I'm ready. It's a fine line between stupid and clever. And not to overthink it, but I, I think there's something to be said. Like when you've got an idea that you think is unique or innovative or worth trying, sometimes you like, and, and my editor um, who worked with me on my book is also a huge Spinal Tap fan. And I I'd take a chance with my writing and then in the notes, I'd, I'd flag him in a comment and I'm like, stupid or clever. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's sometimes- actually really great. That's a great way to look because you're right. You want to push the envelope, I, right? So am I like, do I, is there a little bit of crazy associated with this good idea? I like well, it. I mean, it makes perfect sense. But, but sometimes all you can do is like, if you don't know where it is on, on, on which side of the stupid clever line, <laughs> right? you get to go try the idea in some way. What's the worst awesome. that can happen? Go try the idea, see what feedback you get. You can either keep moving forward or you can pivot and, and make a change. So I, I guess I guess the takeaway is don't be afraid to be stupid. Don't be afraid to be stupid. <laughs> it's it's a possible name of the episode. No, we'll find. <laughs> I didn't expect to. <laughs> we didn't think we'd get there, <laughs> but here we it, are, forty minutes in. We, to we came end it in. with <laughs> those words: don't be afraid to be stupid. <laughs> I have to drop the mic. Move on. Awesome, Mark. You've you've been you've been great, and I appreciate you sharing all the the stories and and the journey that you've taken and and to where you are today. Really, really great stuff, and. Uh, uh, hopefully we'll have a few folks that uh, take this bond and, and grab a few books for us. Mark, where can they find your book? Uh, so the website for the book is mistakesbook.com. Uh, probably the easiest place to buy it in different formats is Amazon. Paperback, hardcover, Kindle, and audiobook versions available through Amazon, Audible. Yeah, those are the main places. Easy to grab. Easy to grab. It's a great read. Thank you. Uh, it's... Uh, it, I say easy read only in that the concepts are there, follow through, there's great storytelling in it. So it's not like you're digesting a lot of academia and going through it, right? It's really practical stuff that you're talking about and with some with some awesome stories and some some real life characters right in there, right? These are real stories that happen to real people that you've talked to, which makes it all, all the better. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a great one. I recommend from, from my side. Mark, I really appreciate your taking the time out of your busy day as you're going around promoting your book to, to join us here on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. It's been my pleasure to have you on here and thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Scott. This has been fun. Okay, great. Have a great rest of your afternoon. 
The Grow Your Damn Business podcast is hosted by Scott Goodrich, a professional EOS implementer. To learn more about EOS and how it might help grow your damn business, you can email Scott at scott.goodrich at eosworldwide.com or check out his website at www.eosworldwide.com forward slash Scott hyphen Goodrich. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next week on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast.